You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We have a lot of good guests today as Super Week rolls on. We're going to get into National Girls and Women in Sports Day with uh, Washington football coach Jennifer King. Talk to Derek Brooks, Hall of Fame linebacker, about the Super Week that he's part of the planning committee for. I am going to dabble in some Super Bowl gambling, and I need Joe Fortenbaugh to help me, so he's coming on. And Dominique Foxworth, going to talk a little bit about Black History Always and, of course, the big game on Sunday. I spent all day, Fitz, four straight hours talking to ESPN radio affiliates all across the country about Sunday's game, and the consensus remains that beyond legacy and big goat, little goat, some of the stories um, haven't yet emerged, and perhaps one of them was a near story. And that is, of course, the near miss that the Chiefs experienced with their barber. How much did you get a shiver down your spine when you first read the headline, Chiefs Barber Test Positive Amid Haircuts? Well, the stunning part about all this is a few days ago, we were talking about the NFL's decision not to put everybody in a bubble. And in the process of talking about that, we were breaking down some of the reasons why there was a concern. And you said sort of flippantly in that comment, like it all come down to just going to the barber, right? And now all of a sudden, what do we have is we have... Spain Stradamus. I mean, this is, this is you being absolutely ahead of the curve. According to Adam <laughs> Schefter, there were over 20 Chiefs players and staffers, including Patrick Mahomes, scheduled to get a haircut with the barber who tested positive for COVID. The Chiefs acted wisely, aggressively, pulled the barber mid-cut once his test results came in. But this is a reminder of the risk that comes with every single action that you're taking right now in society and a risk that could have impacted the Chiefs, could have impacted the Super Bowl, the NFL. I mean, it could have been a massive black eye on everybody, all from going to get a haircut. I mean, that's a stunning thought. It really is. And it explains why Daniel Kilgore, backup center, has been in the COVID protocols because, of course, his contact, he was in the chair when the barber got pulled. Literally tests coming in. Again, I I don't know exactly how these things work, but why wouldn't we do the test result before the cuts started, right? It seems like if we're going to bother to do the testing, we get the result and make sure everybody's safe before the close contact. Now, the good news is is that predominantly over the course of the last few months, there have been... uh, Little, there's been little to no evidence that masked up barbershops and hair salons have been spreading places. In fact, there was a pretty notable story where two of the women uh, working at a salon had COVID, didn't know it all day long. Not a single person that they saw of over 100 in and out of the salon that day got it because everybody was masked up and following protocol. So even though Demarcus Robinson and Kilgore have not practiced since being placed on the list, They can return and play if they test negative for five straight days. That, of course, is the hope for those guys. What a terrible feeling that would be to not be able to participate because of something as simple as a a haircut. And I think a lot of people, rightfully so, are asking, did you need a fresh cut? I mean, I get it. You're doing a lot of media. It's a big day. You want to celebrate and look good. But, you know, the idea that uh, it would be worth uh, potentially putting in jeopardy your ability to play um, and also, you know, Kilgore only got half a haircut and posted a photo of it, which is pretty amazing. It's a new look. We'll just try something different. And and look, I get it as somebody that that does care a lot about that. For whatever reason, I have always been that guy that 
looks at, in the mirror, and if my hair is not freshly cut, I feel like I look like a fat, awful slob, and I shouldn't be anywhere near <laughs> TV. Like, that's just sort of the mindset. And then the crazy thing for me is my hair grows really fast. So uh, I'm a person that uh, it's not uncommon for me, like, especially if I want to keep the sides fresh. Like, uh, it's every two weeks max, and I'm getting my hair touched up. Like, that was – but during uh, the beginning of COVID, particularly, I just went out and – you know, bought myself some clippers and went to town on my own head. You know, there's a, a a level there for for most of us where you look at it and say, what's my calculated risk? Now, if God forbid I were to go somewhere and get my hair cut and God forbid I was to come in contact with it, uh, for me, I would lose out on the opportunity, let's say, uh, you know, Friday to host college football live. Uh, they'll they'll be just fine. Trust me, right? Uh, realistically, I'll be just fine as long as I'm in good health. That's a far different situation than saying, yeah. okay, well, the Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. My entire team and my career really on it like I'm a little with you at this point you don't need your haircut at that point just go go a little shaggy and understand that you're doing it for the betterment of the team it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz on ESPN radio Demora Smith executive director of the NFLPA was on KJNZ this morning and said whatever happens we're playing the game on Sunday I don't see any scenario where we would agree with the league to move the Super Bowl. I mean, look, we've had a difficult season. We've had teams in Cleveland where I think J.C. Treader, our union president, was breaking down film because they didn't have a coach. We we saw the Denver Broncos head into a season um, without without you know a number of quarterbacks i think it wouldn't be fair to the rigor and the discipline that we've insisted that players have this year um to to move the super bowl my hope um and certainly everybody's hope is that our players will, will continue to double down do the great job that they've done uh all season and we'll get uh, this fantastic game kicked off on time Sarah, Sarah, that's, I, gotta, that's I, I, I gotta get in this right? like the moment he says i can't see any scenario like that is like the the person that says, "Well, I would never," and that hasn't been in that situation. Like, let me give you two scenarios. One involves Tom Brady, and the other involves Patrick Mahomes. And suddenly, the league and all the players from those teams are going to turn around and say, "Uh, can we can we can we just you know delay it a couple of days? Maybe move it somewhere?" Like this concept of I can't imagine a scenario is really it's it's an awesome version of somebody keeping their head in the corner, not looking at the rest of the room, saying, "I refuse to acknowledge that these realities could exist." Well, it's also, it's first of all, it's a jinx, right? I can't see a scenario. Uh, just, that now one will present itself just to prove you that there is one. And to your point, I think they certainly might move it if both teams were equally affected or something. It's not about the fairness of keeping with protocol from the rest of the season. It's about this game, but they certainly wouldn't move it if one team was hit by it and the other wasn't. Because again, that would be prioritizing uh, and trying to fix the issues that one team caused and the other didn't. So uh, I think we're playing the game Sunday. That's sure what it sounds like. Um, speaking, though, of you saying somebody, uh, there's no chance, I will never do this. That is what Bruce Arian said when asked about Antonio Brown and the potential that he might join the Bucks months before this season began. And that tune changed. Uh, and he did an interview today with Tiki and Tierney, I think it was today, and the way he set it up made it quite clear. He, he basically listed off all the other main wideouts on that team and their injuries and said, you know, we were, we were looking for somebody. I talked to him on the phone, and he sounded like a completely different guy than anyone I thought he was. And he's been great. But he summed it up for you. We needed him. And so everything I said about him, very adamantly and strongly, before the season went out the window, because the priority was our team and how we were going to play. That's the game in the NFL. That's why Chad Wheeler, backup lineman for the Seahawks, is out of the league right now and probably will remain so. And why Frank Clark and Antonio Brown and Tyree Kill are playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Their value to their team was more important than 
accountability or or punishment for the crimes that they committed. And it's disappointing for me, for Arians, especially as a guy who has uplifted many women staffers. But it's sort of inevitable. It's what we've seen across the league forever. Yeah, and, and at this point, I think the the effect of that, the cause and effect at this point, what we look at it for Bruce Arians is it will change the way it's perceived in the future when he talks about issues like this. And that's an inevitability. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't come in and say, uh, that's not the type of person we would take on, then say, well, but we've had so many injuries. I mean, there are plenty of wide receivers that were available to come in that aren't as good as Antonio Brown, but also didn't have the baggage that Antonio Brown has. So uh, any concept that Bruce Arians would stay away from that type of player at this point uh, absolutely takes a, a major hit when he comes to the podium and tries to sell that in the future. So he, it's fine if he wants to be transparent and real about how the decision was made. Just don't expect benefit of the doubt in the future. Speaking of Antonio Brown, he spoke today. He's trying to get healthy enough to play. He ducked questions. He said he wanted his legacy to be someone who didn't react to haters. He acted like a victim. And if you want to read an excellent recap of it, Michael Rosenberg of SI, I think, nailed it uh, in saying, uh, in part, if you listen closely Sunday, you might be able to hear Antonio Brown applauding himself. He'd like you to know he's been through a lot, okay? He's dealt with media criticism for multiple accounts of sexual assault, including rape and sexual misconduct, and his attempts to intimidate someone who came forward. That was rough for Antonio. And then there were the haters who pointed out that, along with the assault accounts, he was sued for throwing furniture off a 14th floor condo balcony and nearly striking a 22-month-old and a grandfather walking on the street below. He reached an undisclosed settlement with the family. So hateful. And, of course, there were the teams that gave up on him, like the Steelers, who traded him after he tried to set the organization on fire, and the Raiders, who cut him after he tried to set that organization on fire, and the Patriots, who tried to sign him on the cheap and then cut him because he harassed a woman who came forward. How rude of them. The Steelers and the Raiders and Patriots are not playing in the Super Bowl, but Brown is for the Buccaneers, and for that he is grateful. And he goes on to talk about all the ways in which he tries to spin everything that has happened because of him into things that have happened to him. And ain't nobody got time for that, Fitz. I think we all know what's happening there. I hope he gets help if he needs it. But there is absolutely no part of me, not a single molecule or cell, that has pity for a man that has brought all of that on himself and then calls himself a victim. He made it clear how he wants to be remembered in a beautiful world. He won't be remembered at all. Coming up, there are some stories that have been uncovered about the Super Bowl. We'll get into some of them and share them with you next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can't play Stevie because then I just want to listen to the music instead of doing the radio show that I've been paid to do. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Wait, you're getting Jason paid? Fitz. <laughs> to deal with you Son every night? A... Absolutely. <laughs> we'll get into that later, by the way, because that four hours I spent talking to affiliates today, some stuff came up, and we might need to have a little show therapy later. That's all I need to we, say about that. That is a fair point. I know you have work to do. I do want to take a second. You mentioned it earlier, but I do want to take a second, mostly just to butter you up, and uh, say in, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, National uh, Girls and Women in Sports Day, uh, Women and Girls girls and Women in Sports. I've seen it both ways, all right? Both ways. Uh, but right. I have to take a second and say it's been incredible. It's been incredible since day one that I've gotten to team with you. But to come back with you is a reminder of everything that I've loved working about, uh, about working with you. It's a reminder of everything I still love about working with you. It's a show that I'm proud that we get to do. And you are a great example of what should be honored and celebrated on a day like today. ESPN has surrounded me with a lot of women. I never expected that would happen. And every single one of them behind the scenes and on the camera continue to astound me with their brilliance. Y'all are incredibly talented and you deserve a lot of uh, recognition today. Thank you, last thing I'm going to say. That was very nice. We're still going to fight later, but not right now, because that was very nice of you and very heartfelt, and I appreciate that.
Uh, It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I think that was Straight Talk, too, but this will also be Straight Talk. Because of those hours of interviews, I kept searching for new and interesting ways to talk about the game on Sunday, and the game's going to be great. And the nitty-gritty football stuff is fascinating, how the defensive coordinators are going to try to tackle these offenses, you know, the the quarterbacks and and their different styles, all of that. But as far as storylines go, I think we've leaned too heavily on Mahomes and Brady and legacy and pressure when... The Buccaneers are the first team to play in the Super Bowl at home, and we're focused on Brady and Gronk instead of all the other team members that are maybe going for their first Super Bowl that have been representing the Bucs and have all of a sudden landed at the, you know, the game of their lives. And so that's one of the most uncovered stories is the fact that there are tons of Bucs players other than those two dudes and that they're playing at home, which I think is mostly lost on us, Fitz, because we're not getting all the great dispatches from Tampa of the parties and the events and the ways that that hometown is getting to celebrate their hosting. I think that's such a big part of it. You're right, that uh, Tampa doesn't necessarily get the uh, accolades that come with being the host city, and that's part of what you, you know, you're know you desperately hoping for when it comes time to host the Super Bowl. So Tampa loses out on that. But you're right, this Tampa Bay defense is is spectacular, and I'm not going to take anything away from that. Their ability to rush the passer, uh, the resurgence of JPP has been just amazing to watch. And by the way, Tampa's got linebackers that can do everything. So uh, I think that there is some element of as much as I love the Chiefs offense, and you know that, uh, I think that you do have to turn around and give a tip of the hat to the other side of it. The Bucks defense is better than I think it's getting credit for in some of the conversations, for sure. Yeah, there's a ton of stories, too, about people beyond Arians and Brady and Gronk that I don't know that we're getting as much of. And part of that, I think, is those Zoom calls. It's harder to get follow-ups, right? Everybody gets one question, as Diana Rossini said. You can't pull someone aside. I remember, and I don't remember the player, but there was a Super Bowl media day that I was at years ago. And off to the side, a reporter had talked to a a player, a pretty well-known one, who admitted to selling drugs previously in life and a bunch of tough stuff he'd gone through before the NFL that had never been reported for before. That's not happening on a Zoom with several hundred people. It's just not. It's not conducive to that. And I think we're missing out on some of those stories that would normally come out. But one of them that I saw that I hadn't seen before, and maybe it was covered when you know previous years, but Jason Pierre-Paul, we know about the car accident and the injury. We know about the fireworks accident and his hand. But I had no idea that his father... Uh, is blind and at at the age of 30 became blind. So, you know, he had to work taking care of, of, of Jason Pierre-Paul while his mom was off making money. And so learning how to be blind and take care of his son and never quit and be happy and joyful and not being able ever to see him play football, despite, um, you know, being able to fight through everything else in life, that teaches him to get through the fireworks, to get through the broken neck, all that stuff. And those kind of motivations we talked about the other day, what's your why, are so fascinating to me to hear about. And we're not hearing as much of that. Well, and, and perspective, right? I mean, uh, any anytime you meet somebody that has gone through incredible struggle or their family's gone through incredible struggle, it gives you a little perspective in the moment. You know, it, it's so easy for all of us to get caught up in our own universe. I can't imagine knowing that, you know, you're dealing with that in your family and how it impacts, you know, even as you go through every day prepping for football and the little things that, that you learn to just let ride off your, you know, water off a duck's back as you try and figure out how to live through that life when you realize that so many people around you have been through so much more. Yeah. Uh, another story that I didn't see until recently is Ali Marpet. His dad worked in fashion and his mom fronted an avant-garde rock band. Just 
I mean, stories like that. There's a great one in SI by Connor Orr writing about how he just has a very unique and different life from growing up and being, you know, friends with Calvin Klein, <laughs> right? And uh, his mom, who's now a music director, used to have a song on the Billboard dance charts and an MTV music video. And, you know, it's just, it's those stories that you love to hear about these guys. Um, you know, how does a kid coming out of Hobart College whose parents are completely different and total artistes become instead this NFL Super Bowl player. Um, So uh, those kind of stories I think we're missing out on, but I'm glad we can highlight a couple. Also, um, the Chiefs repeating. We keep talking about them as if they are destined to be doing this forever. And what's fascinating is how rare it is for a team to be able to do that. Basically, Tom Brady and, and very few others have managed to get their team back to back Super Bowl wins. And and that's, you know, for me growing up as a kid, even the concept was always you never saw teams repeat. Like I always found a way the next year to fall off. Sarah, we all know you're a Bears fan, but a lot Mm. of football historians will argue that the Bears the year after the Super Bowl were a better team. And then somehow they lose to the Washington football team. I think it was in the playoffs. And so you think about how there always seemed to be this this bump in the road for a repeating champion. It just never happened. And now we're sitting here just taking for granted as we talk uh, wax philosophically about everything Kansas City is trying to accomplish that they could actually win back-to-back Super Bowls and it doesn't even feel like a big deal. The NFL has seen only eight instances of repeat Super Bowl champions, none of them in the last 16 years. It'll be very interesting to see if the Chiefs can get that going this year. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we're going to talk to a Hall of Famer about this Super Bowl and the challenges COVID has presented in trying to prepare for this game in Tampa. It's next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I still can't get over it. Like Jimmy Fallon saying he loves Sarah Spain. I, know. Like, I, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Jimmy Fallon. I mean, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, you're, you're cooler Big than time I am. Over we know here. that every single Big day. Big time. I mean, you are. Uh, by the way, if you need any more indication of how much cooler she is than I am, check out the Spain and Fitz podcast. Usually we're a little off the rails, and it's only a reminder of my dorkiness and her awesomeness. So uh, we're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline as we've been breaking down everything you need to know to get ready for the Super Bowl. So to help us with that, we're, gonna, we're joined there now by Hall of Fame linebacker Derek Brooks. Derek, thanks so much for the time. And Sarah and I have been talking about it uh, all week for Tampa to have this home game is supposed to be this big moment. You've been such a part of trying to get ready for this for the city of Tampa. I mean, sort of give us the real talk on what it's like knowing that this is happening, but that it's not the experience anybody expected. Well, guys, I'm going to simply start by saying, uh, you know, is the experience the best experience that we can put on, you know, under the circumstances? Uh, Yes, we're not having a stadium uh, full of seventy-five to 80,000 screaming fans, but we do have twenty-two to 24,000 that are going to be there. And of those, we've had an opportunity to celebrate our healthcare workers uh, with this experience. So uh, as part of the uh, co-leadership of our Super Bowl host committee, uh, I always look at the glass three-quarters full <laughs> and every day try to find you know new pathways uh, to show people how to do business and celebrate what we do have and, again, look for opportunities, not obstacles. I want to get more into the planning, but first, I mean, I have to recognize here, 11-time Pro Bowl, 9-time All-Pro, 
Defensive Player of the Year in 02. You earned a ring with this Bucks team. What is it like to have the Super Bowl back with your team in it? It's been a little while. Uh, yes. Uh, what, 18 years? <laughs> but, <laughs> Who's counting? Who's counting? You know, exactly. <laughs> but I just give this team all the credit uh, for everything that uh, they have gone through, and as well as the Chiefs, you know, in managing uh, all the health and safety protocols whether you're dealing with roster moves and managing extra people, the practice schedules, and, you know, give credit to the Bucks. You know, it was not one time that they had to go through a complete shutdown uh, due to COVID. Uh, the players, you know, took care of themselves. Uh, the facilities took care of themselves. They, again, were able to overcome that regard. And then you look to the playing field. Uh, you know, they were pretty consistent all year long until they hit a stretch there in the third quarter uh, where they didn't have a good third quarter with one and three, and one of those lo- losses was a loss to the Chiefs. But they bounced back down the stretch, and I like to think the veteran leadership on this team uh, was able to come through. And uh, I, I think people started to really feel the Tom Brady effect on this football team because they were able to stay laser-focused the fourth quarter of the season, and they haven't looked back since. We're talking to Hall of Fame linebacker Derek Brooks. And Derek, let's be clear, I, I'm a diehard Raiders fan, so I think I should probably apologize to some of the things I said to you on the TV screen that 18 <laughs> years ago. I still get sh- I still shudder when I think about that particular day. We have very different memories of that day. Uh, but for you guys planning this Super Bowl as you've been getting ready for it, Sarah just mentioned it. I mean, what's been the biggest challenge in a COVID world for preparing the city for what's coming to it? Uh, the biggest challenge is, is every day uh, asking our residents to, you know, really comply. Uh, our mayor, uh, she did an emergency order of, you know, face masks anytime you're outside, outdoors, social distancing protocols, and, you know, getting the message out. Uh, it can be as simple as we've asked our local residents to, you know, use the early part of the week uh, to experience the Super Bowl events and kind of look look for our out-of-town guests, you know, to do it on the weekends mm. and hopefully managing crowds. You know, so it's been those you know, simple things as that. Uh, another one was, you know, watch the game. If you're not going, watch the game with your families, uh, people that you've been around to reduce gatherings. You know, we're not encouraging, you know, huge gatherings for watch parties. We're asking people to do more family gatherings which are smaller, more intimate, uh, to watch the Super Bowl. So we're taking, you know, little small steps like that from a mass communication standpoint. And other things are a lot more detailed uh, just to make sure, you know, whether it's staff, whether it's people that's performing, everybody follow uh, the health and safety protocols. And obviously uh, the consistency in testing uh, has increased. So, again, doing everything we can uh, to not be a distraction or take away from the game of the Super Bowl. So as uh, 2020 showed us, you know, you got to have a game plan, but you got to be light on your feet when it comes to making right. audibles. And, uh, <laughs> and our host committee was was doing a lot of that. As we uh, honestly, we we wrote the blueprint. Uh, we had to throw away everything we learned from Atlanta and Miami when it came mm-hmm. to putting on the Super Bowl because it didn't apply. 
So we looked at this as an opportunity to rewrite it so L.A. and Vegas, they won't have to start from zero. And we would have at least given them some steps on this pathway to uh, put on a major event uh, in a health pandemic. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, joined by Hall of Famer Derek Brooks, also at one point Walter Payton Man of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, 100th Anniversary NFL All-Time Team, All-Decade Team for the 2000s, and a Super Bowl champion with the Bucks, to name just a few of the many accolades. You have tremendous pull around those parts. You are beloved in Tampa and around the Bucks, so I imagine this could have been a very cool you're really the mayor of Tampa vibe for this week or so. <laughs> and for me too, Derek, because my buddy Troy's on that planning committee with you and I was ready to show up like the queen getting full access to every single party and event. We both got let down. <laughs> Maybe you more than me. Who could say it's, it's really up in the air. What are you most disappointed about? Even understanding that you got to be light on your feet, that maybe you had planned and had to be canceled or that you were looking forward to and had to be changed. You know what? Uh, I'm going to take a different approach. It's not that I was disappointed in anything because I like to think I'm poised in the noise and and manage my emotions. (laughs) Uh, What I will pivot and say I'm most proud of is what we went through in 2020 in addition to the health pandemic, uh, what we had to deal with in uncomfortable conversations as a society. We were able to make sure when it comes to our host committee, community pillars, we expanded that. And we expanded that investment uh, with the partnership of the NFL to have a legacy, which legacy programs, which we call forever 55. I like the ring to that number, Uh, but we expanded (laughs) our community pillars to touch every area in the Bay area when it comes to, all the people, whether we start early with our early childhood education. Then we, we go to sustainability when we're talking about families and hunger. Then we move over to health and wellness. Then we pivot from that to all our social justice issues and dealing with them. So we go to like I say, sustainability when it comes to families and food insecurity. So I feel that you know we've been able to touch every area when it comes to citizenship in the Bay Area with these pillars. And if we didn't go through what we went through in 2020, it may have shrunk a little and we may not have touched every area the way we wanted to. But with the expansion of our pillars, with a deeper investment into our community, I said that today, the Bay Area of Tampa, it will win, no matter who hoists that trophy. And obviously, I wanted to be the Bucks. Make sure everyone hears me clear. I expected to be the Bucks, <laughs> but the Bay Area community is going to win regardless because we have legacy programs that are going to live here well beyond the Super Bowl. Derek, it's amazing to hear you speak, and we're really happy that you took the time to join us. Got a quick prediction? I know you're picking the Bucks. You got a score you want to give us? It does not matter to me, sir. As long as we are one point better than the two. If we could have a score of one to zero, Bucks win. I would take that. But in all, in all seriousness, as long as we're one point better, Derek Brooks is satisfied. But for my close friends that like to, you know, bet a sandwich or two, I tell them to take the over. Okay. <laughs> nice. There we go. There we go. 
I feel Derek, like if, if you haven't considered a, a, a politician future, I think you've got it in you, Derek, after this interview. So consider it. I think you've got it in you. And I mean that in the best possible way. Your pivot was solid. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Derek, best of luck this weekend, man, with the game. And congratulations on everything you guys have accomplished in these trying times. We really appreciate your time and your insight, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Oh, anytime, guys. Take care and enjoy listening to you guys in the evening as well. Thank oh, you. Thanks, man. That's Hall of Fame linebacker Derek Brooks. Uh, we're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Man, some guys just have it. Like, I could mm-hmm. listen to him speak all day long. All right, yep. coming up, we're going to bring in an expert who will help us hopefully make some money. We'll see what he thinks about the over on the Super Bowl next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Got to let the high guy go. Can't cut off the high voice. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm going to be honest, Sarah. I'm, I'm, we're going full stage five clinger at this point with our <laughs> buddy Joe Fortenbaugh from the Daily Wager. Uh, I've started to dabble. I'm so far, you know what, I've been, I've been dabbling for uh, maybe, what, a month and a half, almost two months at this point, and I'm right at break even, so I feel like maybe I'm doing okay. Like, I haven't really lost any money or made any money, but I, I'm, I'm at least my head is right there. I'm, I'm at least treading water. So we're bringing on Joe Fortenbaugh now to help us as we get ready uh, for the weekend and, and for the bets that are in front of us. And Sarah, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that I've inspired you to dabble yourself. Oh, it is not you. Absolutely God. not. In fact, your tales have mostly <laughs> been of woe. So it is, in That's fact, because if nearly... I lose a dollar, I complain a lot. That's yeah. Fact. Here's the thing. Usually this week I'm at parties nonstop. I am bare. I am like nine five hour energies in on Super Bowl Sunday. And all I want is to just lay in a bed with room service and watch the game. But instead, I'm doing cool things like going to the game or watching it with a big party this year. I'm going to be home with my husband and three dogs and some healthy snacks. That's so sad that I need something. I need something new and different about this year's Super Bowl. So why not, you know? Well, dabble. All right. So, Joe Fortenbaugh, we bring you on to help us with dabbling. And, uh, you know, I think there's an important lesson here for all of us that, you know, Sarah and I should not be giving anybody a lot of guidance because we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> so, uh, as I've, I've, I've at least gotten into the point where I've done, you know, the basics and I've even done a, a few prop bets and I did one, you know, individual in game parlay. So, you know, I feel like I'm at least getting a little bit of experience here. But when it comes to the prop bets, what's your strategy on figuring out what's a good prop bet? Well, you want to look at the numbers and you want to try to figure out in your mind, how do you see the game playing out, right? There are people that believe Kansas City is going to win this game. There are people that believe Tampa Bay is going to win this game. For example, if you were to believe Tampa Bay was going to win this game, do you believe this would end up being a shootout that would feature 70 points? Or do you think if Tampa wins it, it would be lower scoring? My thought process is if Tampa pulls this off, it's not going to be 40 to 36. It's going to be a scenario where they're able to drag it down in the mud, similar to how the 49ers did against the Chiefs last year. You mess with Mahomes a little bit. He doesn't have his best day. And you make a couple key plays on the defensive side. And if that's the case, if that's how I see it playing out for Tampa, then I would play some long shots for the MVP. I would look at a guy like Devin White. I would look at Levante David and Shaq Barrett, some key Tampa Bay defenders to turn this thing upside down, 60-1, to 80-1 to 1 to win the MVP. Conversely, I'll give you this perspective as well. If you like the Chiefs to win this game, 
and you believe Patrick Mahomes is going to be the MVP because, quite frankly, why wouldn't he be if the Chiefs win? There's a great chance that that happens, much like it did last year. You don't even have to worry about laying the spread. Don't lay the three with Kansas City. And don't lay the money line, which is basically a price to pay for no spread. The money line right now for Kansas City is minus 165. That means you have to risk $165 to win $100 if Kansas City wins the game. How about you just play Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP? That's minus 125. So you're risking 125 rather than 165 to win the 100. And if the Chiefs win and you believe Mahomes will be the MVP, you just saved yourself a whole lot of risk right there. Okay, I mostly understood that. But let's like step back slightly on the numbers mostly, which is where I get lost. Let's say I think the Chiefs are going to win, and I think – Probably not. I got asked today if it's not a quarterback who would win the MVP. I think that's it's it's a stretch usually because usually it is the quarterback of the winning team, even when maybe someone else deserves it. But I envisioned in my mind a Bucks team that is dead set on trying not to get beaten by Tyreek Hill because of what we saw in the first quarter of their last meeting. I think they do a lot less in terms of the. Uh, you know, the sort of one safety press man that they did that let him beat them vertically over and over. And there'd be so focused on trying to figure out how to stop him that someone like Travis Kelsey goes off. So what would be some good bets for me to make based on the idea that I think the Chiefs will win and Kelsey is going to have a big game? That's a good mindset right there because Tyreek Hill tore the Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense apart in the first quarter of that game back in Week 12. But once Bowles and the Tampa defense made their adjustments and they moved Mm -hmm. away from man coverage, he only caught six passes the rest of the way out. So if you believe that they go with that similar defensive approach to try and limit, because you're not going to stop Tyreek Hill, but perhaps you limit him, who's it going to open up the field for? Travis Kelsey would be a player in that realm because Tampa Bay has struggled to defend the opposing tight end position this season. So you could look to Kelsey's receiving yards prop, which is it's hefty. It's 97.5. You would need 98 for you to cash that over. You could look to his total amount of receptions prop. You could look to props such as will he score the first TD? Will he score a TD at all? I believe that's minus 160. There's a lot that's out there for you. I do know from a couple sources that we've talked to out here that work behind the counter, that there are some sharp players who are throwing some money on Sammy Watkins and Miko mm. Hardman props for the yeah. same reason you just laid out, yep. Sarah. That Those are my other two. limited in this game, and there's some focus on Travis Kelsey that perhaps the ancillary wide receivers could end up having a big game here. We're talking to Joe Fortenbaugh. You can check him out on the Daily Wager. And Joe, you know, I put a wager on in uh, the playoff game for the Chiefs against the Browns for total yards passing for Mahomes and felt really good about it at halftime because I was well <laughs> on my way. Things did not go well thanks to the injury. So uh, what what are the types of props that actually make sense when you're talking about quarterbacks? I love Mahomes to throw a lot of passes in this game, whether they're up or they're down. His passing attempts prop is 40 and a half. All right. Now he averaged 39 passing attempts per game this year. So we're not asking him to go that far above and beyond his season average in order to cash this prop. Week 12, when they played Tampa Bay, he threw the ball 49 times. That was the most he's thrown in any game this season. Yet they were up 20 to seven at the half. They were up 17-0 after the first quarter. They were actually up two scores going into the fourth, and he threw the ball 49 times. What does that tell us? They're not going to throttle back. Tampa Bay ranks number one in opponent yards per carry this season. They could defend the run. So whether the Chiefs are down, which if you're down, you're obviously throwing, 
or up where we just laid out the case for why they'd continue throwing. I like him going over 40 and a half passing attempts. Conversely, I like Brady to go under 39 and a half passing attempts. He's done that in only nine of 19 games this year, but more importantly, in the 18 games the Chiefs have played, only five opposing quarterbacks have thrown 40 or more passes against them, right? It hasn't happened all that often. And in the games where it has happened, Kansas City has been up two scores or more on all those teams with plenty of time left in the game. Translation, if they're getting blown out, you get a lot of garbage time. I don't see Tampa Bay getting blown out in this game. I don't think Brady's going to need to throw it 40 times. They play under 39 and a half passing attempts. That's good. That's very good. Although I will say that it got kind of thrown off last year in the Super Bowl when they ended up relying so much on their running backs and, you know, Mostert and others are kind of, you know, these players come out that you see in these games that you don't expect, right? Um, Damian Williams, obviously, on the Chiefs side uh, for that game, and then Mostert for the Niners that we didn't expect. But I do like your strategy there. Should I bet on the doinks? I feel like I need to. I know we're out of time here, but I feel like I've gotten screwed karmically by doinks. So if I bet on it, would that help clean up some of my past? You're a Bears fan. I'm an Eagles fan. I don't oh, think you want my oh. answer to that question. Mm. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oh, double man. down on the doinks by betting on them. I think Car- oh, karma owes me. Are, are you allowed to even say double doink, Sarah? I don't know. Joe Fortenbaugh, <laughs> check him out on the Daily Wager and Bet. We appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me on. Good luck this weekend. Uh, let's see how it plays I understood out. most I, of that. I feel good. I'm ready to dabble. We are going to be experts in this by the fall, <laughs> and then our picks are going to go straight to hell. You know that. That's what's going to happen. Coming up next, we'll talk to a friend about the Super Bowl and, of course, Black History Month. That's coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Super week rolls on. We got to get tons of good perspective on the game. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear hotline, including our next guest joining us for a little half friend. Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone, bad, friend, good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got best Let's head out to the Goodyear hotline where our friend Dominique Foxworth joins us. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Not bad, not bad, not bad. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, no, I there's, there's lots to get to, uh, so we won't rush you into trying to perfect the high friend just yet. It is your first appearance on High Friend. Well, let me get another shot at the at the end. At the okay. End. Can I give okay. It one more yeah, shot? we'll give you another shot on the Bye Friend. Bye Friend. Um, I want to talk about uh about the Super Bowl. Obviously, I want to talk about uh, the Bachelor dancing. But first things first, we're trying to have a great ESPN voice at least once every week of this month to honor Black History Month and Black History Always, the initiative from the undefeated. So I wanted to start, is there something we can expect on your show? Do you have things planned for this month that we should be looking out for? Me? Like, I mean, I am Black History <laughs> all the time. It's right. You're welcome. So enjoy and appreciate and marvel in this living Black History. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, in fairness, Dominique, like you and I have had some some real and, and honest conversations, especially through everything that's happened over the last year, right? Like, so is there a different level in your mind of importance to Black History Month, given how divided this country has been over the course of the last 12 months at times? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think it's something uh, that, like uh, Sarah mentioned, the, 
the undefeated. Like I work at the undefeated and I work there all the time. And I've worked there for what six years now underneath ESPN. And it's not like a, a month there. It's just kind of our focus where we talk about the intersection of sports, race and culture. And it leans towards a lot of black uh, related American black related things. So like I, this month is a special month for the country and it's something that we should be aware of, but it's not nothing new. It's nothing different for me for my, my normal job is looking at the the lens or looking at sports and looking at life through the lens. I guess it's not my job. It's kind of who I am through the lens of a black person, but also through the lens of, uh, of people who aren't black and trying to understand what it is about black culture. That's important. And what it is about black culture that, um, influences sports and American culture. So it's not a must necessarily for me, but uh, I don't, I'm not one of these people who's like, Oh, how, how dare you? It should be every day. Like you do what you do. I'm going to do what I do. And uh, <laughs> Black History Month is not quite enough for me. I don't give a damn with Dominique Foxworth is on the undefeated.com. You can watch that uh, and get uh, him of course, and all the topics that he covers. Um, I'm with you though. I mean, it's something that we've, we, we talk about and it's been happening across multiple platforms. The black history always idea. I feel the same way about women's history month. How about just women right. are worthwhile always, right? We could have, we could have these right. conversations, but I do think um, it's at least better to have an added focus than none at all. Uh, we also want to have you on, of course, because of your brilliant mind around football and the Super Bowl. We have been struggling to get into this game beyond everyone's desire to talk about legacy or talk about the baby goat and the big goat. I'm more interested in the defensive coordinators and their approaches to trying to stop these offenses. What else? I'm also interested in the Bucks players that are not Brady and Grog, who I don't think we've spent nearly enough time talking about looking for maybe their first Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Uh, what are you most into that you haven't heard enough people talking about? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is Tyreek Hill and how they answer that particular quandary that uh, that seemed to baffle the Bucks, uh for the first half last time where he almost had 300 yards in that game. So, like, what they're going to do with that and how that inhibits the rest of their defense because I suspect that um, Todd Bowles obviously likes to blitz, but you're not going to be able to blitz if you also have to double Tyreek. And it seems like they're going to have to double Tyreek Hill based on what happened Last time, so I'll be interested to see what happens there. And then there's the the thing that I think a lot of people have been talking about, but it'll show itself early in the game is how the tackles are going to hold up against that defensive line. Not just the tackles, the whole offensive line, because those D ends are special. But Sue and Vita Vea, they were getting after it last week on the interior or two weeks ago on the interior um, against the the Packers. So I think the the Chiefs offensive line, how they hold up in that situation, and on the Bucks, I want to see what they do to address the Tyreek Hill situation and how that impacts um, Travis Kelsey. And then on the other side of the ball, it's what kind of Brady are we going to get? Cause we, we call Brady the goat and he is the goat, but we haven't seen it in the playoffs at least. Like we can pick out a couple plays in our mind, but the last two games that they played, he was up and down. I think there's mm-hmm. a fair way to put it like <laughs> off of up in the air and down into the hands of the opposing team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was able to create points in the same game off of turnovers, and he made some big plays um, in uh, right before half and throughout that that Packers game. But the second half, he was just turning it over. So I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what they're going to do to try to set him up to succeed. We're talking to Dominique Foxworth on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So Dominique, it's the chess match that always sort of intrigues me. So as a former defensive back. How much new can be put in by a defense during this sort of a gap? What What's the reality of being able to put in something that a quarterback hasn't seen? Right. I mean, that's interesting. I think 
you want to put in something that'll 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 um, kind of confuse the quarterback or confuse the offensive line. And to be truthful, like you don't have to do anything too complicated. You can change one person's job, and that can make things so much more difficult. But this year is unique because training camp, you put in everything that you have in training camp. You put it all in, and I suspect that this year was different, obviously, because they didn't have the same amount of time and. They weren't practicing together all the time. But the reason why you put it all in in training camp is so that you can call back to it when you need it. You can bring it out when you need it. So I think this year it might be harder than normal to install new things. But when I think about the Chiefs defense in particular, they have played together for a good amount of time, and they have so many veterans, and they have a guy like Tyron Matthew who has literally done everything on the field and does it all well. So it's not too hard to put in a new wrinkle for a guy like that because – he knows what he's doing. And I think uh, it's probably true of many of the players on the Bucks side, but I don't know if they're as comfortable uh, moving around in different places. So I think the, the Chiefs are multiple throughout the, the course of the season, and they have a Swiss Army knife, I guess. I feel like that's always kind of an insult because if you think about it, people say Swiss Army knife because you can do a bunch of things, but actually Swiss, Swiss Army knife is really terrible at most of the things that it can do. <laughs> so I feel like it's an insult to, to call – Call him, um, him a heptathlete then. Call him a heptathlete. Yeah, there we go. Jack yeah, of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, can, he can do a bunch of things. So I think that if they wanted to line him up at the safety and have him uh, drop down and replace one of the linebackers, it's something that he's comfortable and capable of doing. So uh, it shouldn't be that hard for them, but uh, it, it could be challenging for the Bucks. Well, and one of the things, of course, is with Jamel Dean back, he wasn't there for Week 12, so that meant that Sean Murphy Bunting had to play on the outside. Now you can move him back inside. Dean comes, plays the outside, and everybody's more in the position they're comfortable in, and it's also just a different look defensively than than what they had in their last meeting. We're talking to Dominique Foxworth here on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz at Spain and Fitz. Um, one of my favorite things in following the brilliant football minds uh, at our at our company, Mina and D- uh, Dan Orlovsky and you, is uh, how frustrated people get when coaches don't make the play that they should. We saw that a lot this postseason. I think there's a lot yeah. of excitement in having Arians, no risk it, no biscuit on one side, and Andy Reid, let me just go ahead and let my backup quarterback throw on fourth down to get to the Super Bowl facing off. Like, are you expecting us to see whether it's trick plays or maybe, you know, pulling a Sean Payton, like fake punt to start a half? Like, are you expecting us to see some of the some of the onions in this game? Absolutely. I, I'd be surprised if it was the if they did an onside kick or something like that, because I don't know that either of them like that's where they have a lot of their confidence. Um, but I would not be surprised at trick play. So, and, and maybe a fake punt, but I expect all that stuff and going for it on fourth down. Yeah, there's something about how this league really right now seems the trend is to try to find a young up-and-comer. Everyone's looking for their Sean McVay. But you notice that the veteran coaches, these older guys, they're the ones who, who seem to have the onions, as you put it. They're the ones who seem the most comfortable in these situations. Maybe it's because these two guys have quarterbacks that they can trust, or maybe it's just because – when you get old, like the old people in my life, you just stop caring and you say and do whatever it is that you want to do. Either way, it makes for good football. Do the analytics and aggressiveness combined change the way NFL football is called in the future in your mind? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that it's these things are – the coaches and players like to say they don't listen to the media or they don't care about the outside noise, but they're impacted by it. And it's it's a gradual process, but I think – we've gotten to a point where 
uh, going for it on fourth down. I remember it might have been five or ten years ago where we'd flip out if somebody didn't take the points that were available or, like, generally fans would be upset and media would be confused. Like, why didn't you take that field goal? Why would you go for it there? Now we're at a point where people are flipping out if you won't go for it on fourth and eight like the Packers did, didn't in that situation. So it's changed a lot in the last few years, and I, I don't expect us to go back because this is better. It's more entertaining, and it also improves your chances of winning. So uh, I think we keep having more and more football like this, honestly. Dominique Foxworth, before we let you go, what's your, what's your uh, pick for the game? Uh, uh, everything uh, in my mind tells me to go with the, the Bucks, but I don't like my mind. I'm a hard guy. <laughs> We're going cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, it's hard to I, – I have, I have seen Tom Brady fail before. I've never seen Patrick Mahomes yeah. fail, and I know yeah. that Tom has had a lot more success, <laughs> but I, it's going to take a lot for me. After last year's playoff run from Mahomes, it's going to take a lot to convince me that um, he can be beaten in these situations. You got a score or a lot to a little or closer? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. They'll score more than 30 points. I, I know the Chiefs will do that because they always do when Patrick Mahomes is playing quarterback. So let's go mm-hmm. with 34. That sounds about right. And 27. There you go. All right. I like it. And, hey, thanks for taking it easy on me when I said fake punt instead of onside kick. You really just did that very deftly and smoothly without embarrassing me. I appreciate that. Thank you, uh, I mean, Dominic. One of appreciate my friend, it. One of my teammates, uh, one of my teammates from uh, – from uh, Baltimore and a friend of mine from before the draft, a guy named Fabian Washington told me this a long time ago, but he's from Florida and he has a thick accent. And I think I corrected him on the, on something that he pronounced wrong. And he told me that if you can correct me, you know what I meant. So I stopped correcting people <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Everybody you know who football who saw that game knew what you meant. So it's fine. I appreciate uh, We're still it. waiting for your, for your big, your big buy friend here though. Look, we can't let you oh, go yeah. until you give I us a That's right. You're going to tee me up. We are, te- we are teeing him up. Right, right. Thank you so much, Dominique. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. That's good. That was fine. It, listen, he's not a squeaky kind of guy. He's more of a deep and low, and so we'll take Neither it. Dominique Foxworth of The Undefeated. He's fantastic. We love having him on the Goodyear Hotline. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. It's a little story time. We've been sharing our favorite Super Bowl memories all week. Some more coming up. These involve a Mike and a Mark. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. we got some good pre-party and after-party goodies you can only get on the digital side. You can find it on Apple, iTunes, podcast app, ESPN app, where you get your good stuff. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we've been saying all week, and we hate to belabor the point, but it, it keeps coming up, the idea that this hasn't felt like a normal super week. It was interesting to talk to Derek Brooks about some of the changes they've had to make to the planning committee. I think he partly was trying to avoid getting too negative about the things that were lost because of COVID. But I, I know that there's big parties and concerts, those things that get planned years in advance that they are not having. So instead of being sad this year, we're reminiscing about the good times, the before times, the glory days, if you will, of Super Weeks past, where we've had funny encounters and run-ins and parties and everything else. So Fitz, what's your story of the day? 
Well, I'm going to go back to the Super Bowl in San Francisco. And uh, there's a couple of things about this one that made it memorable. But uh, I'll leave one portion out of the story because it will come up later in Story Week. But the key is the band was out there. We were playing this private party that the NFL throws. It's like a big food event or whatever. And so we were playing that. And uh, I have a couple buddies that works for ESPN and one at the time that uh, really helped discover and, and, you know, craft my career. And so he got me into the ESPN party. So, you know, this is a big deal. I've never been into the ESPN. ESPN Super Bowl party. So I'm in the ESPN Super Bowl party, and I have a buddy at the time who had told me, hey, if you see, we, we have a mutual friend, Mike Golick Sr. So if you see Golick Sr., go up, tell him, hey, you know, Joe said hi, and introduce yourself. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's amazing. Like, I don't know Golick at all. I haven't met Junior at all at this point in my life. I don't know any of these people, right? So I walk in to the party, and I'm looking around, and I'm scoping it out. And admittedly, I'm getting pretty drunk. And then finally, as I get fairly tanked, I get enough liquid courage. I see Mike Golick Sr. standing over by the bar right so i'm like this is it this is my move i woke up to the bar i'm like hey mike yeah uh we have a mutual friend joe and i explained and i'm like yeah he said that i should walk up and introduce myself man i'm a big fan of your work (laughs) and senior just looks at me and goes awesome and turned around and walked off that was it that was my introduction (laughs) to mike golick senior he just looked at me and said awesome i don't think he even remembers that i will say though there was a surprising yeah, well, I, you know, it was a very loud party. There was an act playing at the time. It was, you know, I, I think th- I did not do. I'm usually good at read the room. I did not read the right. room well on that one. I yeah. was too anxious. He was just to trying to enjoy himself. To, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he thinks, who's this guy coming up? But the Super Bowl did end on a positive note with me as I was in the stadium for that Super Bowl. And we got to go out on the field and we watched Lady Gaga sing the national anthem. Wow. And uh, the best part about it is they forgot to come get us off the field, so they just left us there on the sideline for the duration of the game. And I had to pee so bad. It was driving me crazy. But I knew if I went inside to pee, they'd never let me back out on the field. So I was miserably uncomfortable, but I stood on the sideline for the duration of the Super Bowl. That's a good one. I like it. Uh, Mine is is, is the opposite. It's the the, not someone blowing me off, but uh, one of those nights that you look back and you're like, how did that all come together? So I've told this story before, so I'll I'll hurry along to the end of it. But um, I made friends with Mark Cuban years ago when he was maybe going to buy the Cubs by sending him a Facebook message asking if he was going to buy the Cubs. He responded to it, which shocked me. Realized after the fact that I was just starting out in sports and was like, this isn't for reporting. I was like, oh, no, I'm just a fan and I want you to buy the team because the people who own it suck. And we ended up grabbing 40s in brown bags at a bar in Chicago when the Mavs came to town once and hung out with him and some guys from the front office. And we just became friends, right? So every Super Bowl, we always end up hanging out, and he has his big direct TV parties and gets me and a couple friends in, and they always have the best music acts. Like, it's always, it was Jay-Z and Beyonce, it's Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's Taylor Swift. So 2015 in Glendale, it was Rihanna and, and Kanye. We go to the party. We end up staying late. I'm with my my friend Marty from Australia. I'm with uh, Elika, who's some some folks in the industry know, Elika Sadehi, that used to do a show with. Uh, my friend Sarah, who's now uh, Will Bond's uh, assistant. I'm with this crew, this fun crew. We end up staying well after the party's over. We go to leave because Mark is like, hey, we can all go to the hotel I'm staying at and party at the bar afterwards. We're like, perfect. We walk outside. It's so late. And the place in the middle of nowhere in Glendale, in the middle of like a, a field, uh, there's nothing anywhere near. There's no Ubers. There's no cabs. I spot an ambulance. And I'm like, let me let me be right back. I go over to the ambulance. I go, hey, are you guys like done for the night? Were you waiting around to see if any, anything bad happened? They're like, yeah, we're done. I'm like, can you give us a ride to the hotel? It's only like 10 minutes away. So me, Mark Cuban, my Aussie friend, friend Sarah, we all pile into the back of an ambulance. So we're sitting on defibrillators and cots. 
They uh, take us to the bar. It's closed because it's like 5.15 in the morning, but we had a great story. Good times. That is remarkable. I love the fact that you just commandeered an ambulance. That takes a little yeah. of courage. I do have one, one courageous detail for me in my story, and that is post-Super Bowl party for ESPN. I was really drunk. So one of my buddies, he and I ended up slow dancing in the parking lot to music that only the two of us could hear because it just seemed like <laughs> the right thing to do. I was pretty tanked. Looking back, I see why Golick Sr. didn't want to talk to me. Yeah, that sounds about right. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. I was sober, which is wild. (laughs) Nope. A historic hire in the NFL joins us next for Game Changers. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. In just a few minutes, Sarah and I are going to have a battle that, frankly, the affiliates we got to talk to all day may have started. But uh, mm-hmm. you can get out there if you're on Twitter, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We'll give you a little preview of the battle that is coming between the two of us. And as usual, I anticipate a loss here. But it'll be fun either <laughs> way. Uh, in the meantime, before we get to any of that, one thing we love to do on this show is really take a moment to talk to people that are breaking down barriers and changing uh, the game. So let's have a little fun now with some game changers. In the world of men's professional sports, many women are breaking through and making their mark. They're not going to be looking at him sideways. The reason why I take so much objection. He is literally running with the entire team. The NBA is actually facing backlash on both sides. Their stories are told here on Spain and Fitz. Time for this edition of Game Changers. We're incredibly excited to be joined by Jennifer King, Washington football team assistant coach and the NFL's first black female assistant coach. Jennifer, thank you so much for the time. We genuinely appreciate you taking the time to carve out with us. So uh, walk me through sort of the moment that you realize the significance of what uh, is being accomplished here. When does it sink in uh, that you've broken down this massive barrier? Uh, What's up, guys? Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, Man, you know, it's been crazy. Uh, the past couple of weeks, I think that's kind of uh, sent it home for me when I my dance cart started getting filled up every single day with, uh, <laughs> with people wanting to, to talk with me about what's going on. So I think that kind of uh, really, really showed me how uh, important this was. I saw you posting about the incredible work done by Sam Rappaport and the NFL's and efforts on diversi- diversity and inclusion. Um, that someone actually raised a hand back at an owner's meeting in 2016 and asked why there wasn't a pipeline for more female coaches. And that ultimately led to you being hired and the other women that we now see in the coaching ranks. Talk to me about what that means to you to hear and learn that people before you kind of opened up those doors. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously anything that we we do and things that we accomplish like this, somebody helped us, somebody, you know, reached down and helped us up from it. And that's, that's just a testament to those things, someone helping us out and kind of being an ally for us, um, you know, when we didn't even know we had a chance to do this, you know, things were already in the works. So it was was crazy to see that story and to read that because I had never heard that before. We're talking to Jennifer King, Washington football team assistant coach. So uh, there's always such a, a stigma that seems to come from so many fans that in general are watching and, you know, the questions of you didn't play the game and all of these things that come around it. What kind of resistance have you felt from players as you've ascended through the coaching rank? Uh, I mean, I've worked with a great group of guys uh, at every stop. And, you know, I haven't had a single player uh, have an issue with me. And I think 
you know, you quickly learn working with, um, you know, elite athletes. All they care about is doing things the right way and getting better. And, you know, when they see that you can do that and help them get better and teach them and, you know, put them in the best position to be successful, that's all that they care about. So, you know, I've worked uh, with a great group of guys at every stop, and it's no exception. You know, here in D.C., um, our running back room is awesome, and just our team, you know, we're young, but we're loaded with a, a lot of high-character guys. There are a record number of women going to be involved in the Super Bowl coaching and officiating. I wonder how much conversation do you have with, you know, Lori Locust and some of the other coaches across the league that are helping break down these barriers? Uh, that's going to be awesome. Like, just, you know, just let's touch on that for a second. It's going to be great <laughs> yeah. to see that. And super, super cool, you know, for for the NFL, for women in sports. And, um, you know, I talk to people a lot. You know, I've talked to Callie uh, over the, the past couple of days in Cleveland. And, you know, me and Lowe talk a lot. Um, you know, I talk to Katie a lot. And I talked to Lowe earlier today because every day I just, I'm so excited for her. I sent her a message in case she forgot that she's going to the Super Bowl. You know, I'm pretty sure she knows, but I, I send it, every, like, every single day. <laughs> We're talking to Jennifer King, Washington football team assistant coach. So if you look back at your, your coaching career, is there any one person that you look at as the the main sort of influence that you've been able to lean on through this process? Um, I think this is coaching-wise. It, w- it would be uh, Jason Tuggle and Randy Tuggle, who are the guys I first started working with when I started coaching college basketball. And that they kind of molded my, my coaching philosophy and showed me that you can have a good time and still work hard and be successful and win games. You know, and it's all about communication with the players and, you know, how can you relate to them. And those things, you know, without a doubt, is what has made me successful um, to this point. Spain and Fitz, game changers, talking to a real game changer, Washington football team assistant coach Jennifer King. What is it about your coaching style or your know-how that you think – opened up doors for you? What do you What do you pride yourself on as a coach? Yeah, I pride myself on just being knowledgeable and, and being relatable to the guys. Like I, I still talk to players from everywhere that I've coached, you know, and I think that's a testament to the relationships I was able to build with them and let them know that, um, you know, obviously I'm going to make you a better athlete, but I care about you. I care about your family. I care about what's going on, you know, in your life. And those things mean a lot to me. Um, and it was something that I learned a long time ago. So um, I think that's the, the biggest thing for me is building those relationships. Um, and, you know, when you build that trust, you know, people will listen to you and play extra hard for you. And, Jennifer, that echoes the sentiment. We talked to Logan Ryan last week, and, and one of the things he echoed that, that really connected with him for the Giants organization was Joe Judge's personal connection with him. Is the world changing in the way that we at least see the relationship between athletes and coaches? Is there more need now? for personal connection with these guys? Well, I think it's always been important. It's just, you know, sometimes it kind of got neglected, um, you know, in, in the whole whole scheme of things. But, uh, you know, I learned it early. And, you know, some of my favorite coaches I had were coaches that I just had good relationships with. And, um, you know, one of the coolest things, I think, when I was a head coach, when I would have players come into my office for 30 minutes and we wouldn't even talk about basketball. And, you know, we just talk about what's going on with them and how's life and, you know, that means a lot, I think, as an athlete, because we want to have that connection with your coach. Um, it's not always about the sport. Jennifer, we, of course, are going to be focused on, you know, the, the teams that are in the Super Bowl this week, but we can't forget that the team that you coach had an incredibly successful year, all things considered. There was so much going on for the Washington football team, from obviously Ron Rivera's uh, fight with cancer to the name change, 
uh, to the quarterback carousel. Take me through this season and how you managed to stay focused on the job at hand with all those distractions. Yeah, what a year, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, you know, it was it was awesome, you know, to be a part of it. To see Coach Rivera fight the way he did through his, his health issues was incredible. Um, just to see him out there every single day, you know, it's unimaginable how he felt, you know, what was going on with him and his treatments. And um, But I think it really showed our, our team just the, the, the character that he has, you know. And, it, you know, they always say that a lot of teams kind of take the characteristics of their coach. And um, I think we did that. We became a group of fighters. Um, we just kept getting better every single week. And, um, you know, next thing you know, we're we're leading the division, you know, with a chance to go to the playoffs. And we're a team that, you know, many people expected not to do anything. And we were able to, to do those things and just continue to get to get better week by week. So, um, you know, obviously we've set the bar high now moving forward, but um, it was it was super special to be a part of the team this season. We're talking to Jennifer King, Washington football team assistant coach. And Jennifer, a lot of the conversation outside the building, obviously around the Washington football team, has circulated around some of the culture issues they had in treatment to specifically with women. So in your experience there, has that been part of the mindset is in changing that, to not just from you, but from other people within within the building? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, it's been a, a great experience for me. And I knew coming in with Coach Rivera and the type of a leader he was that, you know, the, the culture was going to be great. And, um, you know, I had no, you know, nothing hold me back from, you know, feeling comfortable to go to D.C. And it's been fantastic. And, you know, as I said, that, that's my experience. And it, everyone's been great. Um, you know, I work with a great group of guys. And, um, you know, everyone in our building is working super hard to, to really change that narrative and, you know, have a different culture. Hey, Fitz, did you know that uh, Jennifer at one time coached at Dartmouth, which is an Ivy League school, which is the same – area a uh, general vibe and, and general t- uh, thing as a uh, cornell university have you oh, ever heard of it cornell I, you ivy leaguers i don't know i mean <laughs> i got that one in just for you fitz <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's fair uh, jennifer we appreciate your time thank you so much for hanging out with us congratulations on all the barriers you've broken down and the inspiration that you are to so many we genuinely appreciate you coming on with us all right, i appreciate it guys it was good chatting with you thanks jennifer Jennifer King, Washington football team assistant coach. And I will say quickly, Sarah, I think that this is just the, every single time we do game changers, I echo the same sentiment for a lot of people that, that scream loudly about women in men's sports. The, the constant reminder of the incredibly qualified women that are mm-hmm. crushing it and doing amazing work. And also the constant reminder that the athletes that they're working with every day are proud and happy to be working with them. It's just yep. something that I think and the, the hustle continued here. The, yeah. Like the hustle. Like we remember Lori Loca's story of all the different jobs and trying to play football and everything else. Jennifer was a police officer. She was a flight attendant, right? She's doing all these other jobs to keep up while she's hustling to try to get that shot. And she got it and now she's running with it. Incredibly inspiring for everybody to listen to that story. All right, Spain and Fitz coming up next. Maple syrup still stinks. Chris Farley's overrated, and Sarah always brings up Cornell. Let's fight. We're going to do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget, Raider Nation, watch the premiere of 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL on Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN 
absolutely great. You're going to love every second of it. In fact, if you're just into crazy conspiracy theories around the NFL or if you're just a big fan of 80s and 90s, 70s NFL, you'll love every second of it. They did a really good job on that. And Super Week continues tomorrow morning on KJZ starting at 6 Eastern. Dick Vermeil, Super Bowl winning head coach, joins the show at 810. A lot of great guests across all the ESPN radio shows every day this week. So even though we're not at Media Row, we're still giving you the best content and the best guests. So be sure to check it out all day, every day. Sarah, speaking of Radio Row, Media Row, we were hanging out, each of us today, with some affiliates. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they did sort of a reality TV trick here. And uh, it's okay. They're just creating beef. People were creating drama. And uh, I was asked some tough questions about Sarah Spain. And I gave a lot of compliments. I gave a lot Mm -hmm. of compliments Mm -hmm. through all of it. But no, those don't get cut off. Nobody plays those for Sarah. Uh, You know, I didn't say anything nice about Mike Golick Jr. I just said that he has hair that grows in the wrong places. I said nice (laughs) things about you. And it didn't make it to you. Instead, you heard some hot takery and maybe Mm -hmm. some of my thoughts on some controversial things about you. Yep. Yep, yep. A couple different shows said that they often have you on. Some of them said you said nice things. Most of them said that you took shots at me. Whether provoked or not, you still took them. And I put them up on at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at at Jason Fitz, just to see if people agree with some of your opinions. Uh, Let's go through a few of these. Okay. Um, Okay. You said that Wrigley Mm -hmm. Field is a dump. Why did you say that? I did. Uh, Why did you say that? I was, I was really, I was enticed on that one. Like it was one where the host uh, at the time said, "Hey, can you at least get her to admit that Wrigley Field is a dump and they need to build a new stadium?" And I said, "You know what? You're right. Wrigley Field is a dump. It's a historic dump, but mm-hmm. it's still a dump. Mm-hmm. Like I can still look at it and say that's a magnificent dump. We are talking about a baseball stadium at this point, but it is still a, a, a dump. Like it's you know, and I have Ivy. I stole Ivy off the wall uh, oh, of Wrigley so Field. It's I, a I meaningful, wonderful, beautiful place that you also consider a dump." Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. Kind of like a, the local dive bar. That's sort of what Wrigley Field okay, is to baseball stadiums. It's a local dive bar. It's got history. I actually don't mind smell. that because I love a dive bar. Uh, I do not okay. find that it smells. But again, I don't have to go in the men's room where I believe there are still some troughs. And troughs are gross, admittedly. Yeah. And I don't have to go in there. That was a good idea. It's a good I, space I mean, saver. And general... I think that's about it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. for me right now, 54% of the people on Twitter have said that Wrigley Field is a dump. Uh, what I have to assume about these people is that they're jealous, and I would be too. If everybody told me that somebody else's stadium is the greatest in sports, which is what people say about Wrigley Field, I would feel bad about myself. I would feel insecure about my own team's stadium's shortcomings, and I would lash out, which is clearly what people are doing. I'm sorry if you prefer a stadium with escalators and video games and sushi. Enjoy what looks like baseball from a million miles away experiencing the comforts that you shouldn't need when you could just sit down, have some good old ballpark snacks, a great view, and feel like you're part of the action in the most historic place in baseball. So, you know what? Moving on. Uh, by the There's way, some... Fenway's a dump, too. So, that it's you know, I'll just go all the way in on this. Fenway's a dump, God, too. Go ahead. Children these days and their lack of appreciation <laughs> And I do history. like a good escalator. Oh, retractable roof I is nice, too. I do not want an escalator control. at a baseball stadium. Have you ever been to a game at Yankee Stadium? It feels like you're watching football. There's no connection to the players. Uh, just anyway, moving on. Feels like I'm watching a better sport. Go ahead, please. Yeah. <sighs> Jason Fitz said that Chris Farley is overrated. Explain yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, he's much like Adam Sandler. He's a one-joke guy. Like, you saw the one joke, you laughed at it, then he moved on. Like, he's overrated. This is the same thing I've said about most of that era. It's the reason that I prefer the Dana Carvey era of SNL, that uh, you know, the the John Lovitz era of SNL. And when they made that transition into the Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, like, I was totally out on that. Uh, Totally out on that. So, you know, for me, Chris Farley is one note, and it's the same note over and over again. And you laugh at it the first time, and then you realize that it's kind of boring after that. couple things. Things wasn't boring. Uh, for someone who loves Saturday Night Live, this is essentially sacrilege. I recommend that you watch the documentary I Am Chris Farley. Uh, oh, it's, it's got interviews. It's, with, yeah, it's so you watched that, yeah. and what you thought about him was still overrated. Instead of understanding the very nuanced way that he could be vulnerable and abrasive at the same time, the way that he could be somebody that looked like sort of this lovable loser that you were empathetic for while simultaneously making you cry laughing because of his physical humor. Like, all of those things were completely lost on you? Yeah, it's all fat guy in a little coat. It's just all fat guy in a little coat. I'm sorry that you are so simple. Okay, moving on. At least the good (laughs) news is nobody agrees with you. Uh, A really dumb percentage agree with you. 81% know that he is absolutely not overrated. Okay, moving on. Do I mention Cornell too much on the show? Uh, This coming from someone who did not graduate from college. So is it potentially that you are jealous that you do not have college experiences of your own to reflect upon? I mean, uh, uh, my college experience was on a tour bus and there was plenty of experience. So, you know, it was good. It was was fun. That explains your vocabulary. Yeah, that is fair. Although, you know what? The follow-up to my Cornell comment was that between Cornell and Juilliard, we might be the most highbrow show on ESPN Radio, which I think is probably true. Although... Except for any time like, that Mina and Pablo are on together and Dominique. Uh, yeah, a, th- a thousand percent. No, <laughs> at that point, I just I, I, I sit in the room quietly and I speak when spoken to. Like, I know my role there. Uh, 58% of the people said, yes, I do. Uh, but I think oh. that's just an easy one to vote yes on and then send me the Andy Bernard gif, which everyone did, um, instead mm-hmm. of actually addressing whether or not I offer it too often or not, which I don't think I do. We, like, who's the most famous Cornell grad of all time? Uh, well, there's a there's a bunch of them. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, okay. Maya Angelou. Okay. Um, <laughs> In entertainment, I, who's the most oh, famous? Oh, I'm grad. so sorry. We're going based on things like that. Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Tony Morrison. Uh, unfortunately, Ann Coulter. Bill Maher. Uh, Anthony Fauci. Gabby Giffords. I'm going right. Sarah Spain. Jane Sarah Lynch. Spain. Jane Lynch. Oh, okay, Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch, number Ed one. Ed Marinero, Heisman two. Trophy winner and famous actor. Huey Lewis. Okay, Huey Lewis, great, great. Pearl oh, S. Buck, Janet Reno, Jillian Anderson. Do you need any more? I've got more? a great Huey Lewis story that I'll tell you off air because it's not going on the radio at all, but I have oh, a great can't Huey wait. Lewis story. Is it a pre-party, after-party kind of deal or no? Yeah, probably. I think so. We could get away with that someday. Okay, excellent. Uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, you have before I offered up your bad takes on the show after you attempted to hoist mine, and yes. uh, 90% of people said that maple syrup is not bad. So because 90, 90% of people enjoy eating trash, apparently. I mean, okay. maple syrup doesn't improve anything. I, I'll die on that hill all day Some long. of these it, people it, are just being contrarians because you also had the worst take of any take I've ever heard in the history of sports, which was it's good to give up a hit during a no-hitter because that's too much pressure on a pitcher, which is yeah, the literal the dumbest sports take I've ever heard. And 94% of people agree with me. I do not know what that other – the other 6% is merely stirring the pot. Nobody believes that. 
I would like to take this moment to to thank the 6% of people that gave me a sympathy vote there. I'll take the pity vote all day, however I can get it. You know what? That 6% of the people, those are my people, and I appreciate them greatly. They have serious issues. I love it that we did affiliate hits today, and all they did now was make us fight. You know, this us fight. Is, this is this is spectacular. And like usual, we fought and I still feel like you won. I'm used to it, though. Like, it's good. <laughs> it's it's OK. I know, you know, my spot, as long as we can all agree that fat guy in a little coat was one note. That's all I'm saying. You're not the worst. one note is Freddie and Fitzsimmons. They are always uh, multidimensional in their approach. Be sure to hang out with them next. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.